There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those Hello crimes, fam, the victim survivors. The Reclaim general public Me. often Today hears stories of victim survivors the through the lenses of perpetrators from Melbourne, media. Victoria. And we're changing Braden that narrative is here. One of these the interviews, loveliest and honest, I think so a word of warning is necessary. Just discussion and comes through so much in our conversation for some it's listeners. Incredible, so please use your discretion on his own experience. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources. In the show I will notes give of you a trigger episode, warning as well as contact your local We're going to service. be discussing some distressing content, which includes the abuse of a child. So please be aware of that before we get stuck into this and look after yourselves as you listen. Now, before we get stuck into this episode, as always, please make sure that you go and take five minutes to rate and review this podcast if you enjoy the podcast. It is a unique podcast, and I think when people hear survivor stories or things like that, it can sound quite sad and depressing. I think all of you who listen and who are constant listeners know it is not just the morbid, but it is an interesting. Um, and I want to hear what you think about it. I want to hear how you interpret it and what you want other people to know about this podcast as well. So, you know, it really does help other listeners find this platform. So please take the time to go out and do that. Additionally, in the show notes to this episode, you will find a link to the Survivor Support Network. The Survivor Support Network is a place for you to meet new friends. And, you know, it's a great place to network share memes, share dog photos, anything that you want and in between, and then attend some of our in-person and online events as well. So that is always there for you too. Now, unfortunately, I did try to use a new software as we were recording this episode. All of our recordings are done online and I used a different software, which sadly failed us a little bit. So I will give you a warning that at the beginning of this episode, my audio is pretty terrible. Sadly, this is just a part of podcasting and a part of troubleshooting. So I do apologize. It's still uh, listenable. You'll still be able to understand it and it does get better as we go through the recording as well. But just letting you know, we did have some technical difficulties. So uh, don't pop that in your review. (laughs) But anyway, I do want to say um, thank you as well to everybody who started listening. In the last couple of weeks, our listenership has gone up incredibly. So thank you so much. And for now, I guess, on to the show.
Thank you for listening to Reclaim Me. Today I am joined by Brayden, who's coming to me from my hometown of Melbourne. Welcome, Brayden. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you on. We are just having a little bit of a chat before about some of the people that we we have in common, I guess, through our survivor journeys that we've met, being Harry and Jared, and I'm sure many other people in between. Um, but it's so great to have you on and to, to connect with another lovely man like yourself. Oh, thank you. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Harry, I only met um, this year actually through Polish Man and I met him personally a couple of weeks ago. Um, incredible guy. And Jared was the reason that I started my Polish Man journey and the reason why I started my healing journey actually um, and why I actually addressed my trauma I just hid it away until that point. So I'm very, very grateful for Jared, for sure. That's tremendous. And it goes to show the power of sharing um, people's stories, the power of showing up for different, you know, it just just hearing one person's story one time isn't enough. And the more people in the community that get their stories out there, the more reach and impact that has on wider members of the community. Mm. And like I say that every time I do my Polish Man campaigning, the more I share my story, the more people are going to address their own or other people will be willing to share as well. And I think for some people they're kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. But like, it's actually so true. Um, Like every year when I share my story online, somebody new comes forward and messages me directly on Instagram and shares that they too have a story without fail every year. So um, yeah, it definitely does help a lot of people. Absolutely. I think it gives people permission to share because it's not saying this needs to be a certain um, stake either. Like it doesn't have to be this certain level, which I think a lot of people have this inner dialogue of theirs was worse, mine isn't bad enough. And then when you start to see people campaigning and you start to see people talking openly, it does give them permission no matter what's happened to them. If they've found it traumatic or, or if they've found it to be any level of abuse or assault in their life, it gives them permission to at least address that and open up to one person. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we have, we are hearing your voice. We have heard your name, but we don't know very much about you, Brayden. Do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, please tell me if I'm talking too much. Uh, <laughs> my name's Brayden Crane. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I would consider myself a local now to Melbourne. I've been here for, I think, almost 11 years. Uh, I moved up from Tassie with my partner um, 11 years ago. Um, So we've been together almost 13 years. We met in little old Hobart. Um, I was actually 17 when we met. Um, I can go into the story later if you like. It's, It's quite cute. Um, but in terms of what I do for work, I work for a local council, so local government in Victoria as an inclusion coordinator for LGBTIQA+. Uh, so my task is to rainbow tick accredit the entire council, um, which is a mammoth piece of work. <laughs> and I'm only four weeks in and I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's so much to do. <laughs> Um, But my manager's like, let's just eat the elephant one small chunk at the time. I'm like, yep, let's do that. (laughs) 
I was like, sure, I love that. I was like, should we start with the toenail? She was like, ew, no. Why would you? And I was like, sorry, but we're going for like weird things. <laughs> but I also run my own consulting business, which is again in LGBTIQ plus workplace inclusion, which is taking me to some really cool places like uh, a particular area of Department of Defense in Canberra where everything technological was taken off me and put into a glass box and locked up um, for the day. Uh, so that was really interesting, uh, an experience for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, I've really, really been enjoying that. What does, like, rainbow ticking something kind of look like? Does it mean reviewing its accessibility for people or, it's in, like, whether it's inclusionary language or is it a number of things? All those things and more. So it's definitely looking at all um, internal policies for staff, but also policies and procedures for service users. Um, so, for instance, in council, we have aged care that falls under us, uh, youth services. Um, I think there's uh, maternal health as well. There's Kingston Active, so gyms and pools, and there's libraries. So we need to consider potentially how our service users who are LGBTIQ+, um, engage with those services and how can we make them more inclusive and so that there aren't any barriers for them to engage fully, um, but also that their identity is protected through the data and information that they share. So what do the systems look like on how we collect it? Is the option actually there in the questioning? So, but also does it need to be there? Because it doesn't always need to be. Sometimes it's just completely irrelevant and so we don't need to collect it all the time. Um, which again creates a safe space. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of things. And then training every single staff member throughout council, including CEO and the councillors themselves. A lot of work. Well, we do have you here as well, not just to talk about this, but to share, I guess, a bit of your story and why you're a survivor ambassador with Polish Men and some of the other things that you've been doing. So do you mind sharing a bit about where your story starts in that sense? Yeah, sure. Um, so... I was 10, I think. Um, there was a a friend of our dad's that was in and out kind of. We, I remember him over a couple of years just being a friend of dad's. Um, he would pop up every now and then. He was always a really, really nice guy. There were no, like, red flags <coughs> for, for anybody to see, but I, I guess that's the that's part of the problem is that it's not obvious. Um, and we moved around a lot. And the fact that he could still find us really surprised me if I look back at it. And I was like, how did he know where we were? Like, because we moved so often. Like, I went to seven different schools um, and I countless houses. <laughs> um, but he just rocked up one night um, and everybody was excited to see him because he was so funny and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I ended up going to bed. And our dad sacrificed quite a lot when we were kids. So each of us kids had a, a room to ourselves. So it was me and my two sisters. So three-bedroom house, which meant that he didn't have a room. But he slept in like a, a futon in the lounge room for years so that we could have our own spaces. Um, and I guess I don't know what conversation happened because I was in bed at that stage. Um, but he was the friend was staying over. And I guess dad wasn't like, well, you're not sleeping with me. <laughs> um, and must have been, well, you can't sleep in the girls' rooms. That doesn't make any sense. So I guess the most logical spot would be to sleep in Braden's room on the floor. Um, looking back on it, I'm just like, it, there's that kind of gender 
thing happening where assuming that only, I guess, younger girls are at risk um, because I didn't even think twice about putting him in my bedroom. And, and I don't, like, blame him for that. It's just that it was unfortunate that something did happen. Um, and it was, again, kind of really unexpected and just out of the blue because we just knew him to be so kind and funny and caring, blah, blah, blah. But he was actually crying that woke me up when I was sleeping and I was like, oh, like, are you okay? Um, and he said he really, really missed his kids. Um, and he was just, like, distraught. And I've always been a very, very um, empathetic person, even as a kid. And, like, when people cried, I cried. It was one of those. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, like, are you okay? Like, what what can I do? And he was like, oh, I, could, I really need a hug. And, like, to me as a 10-year-old, a hug was harmless. Um, and so I got out of bed and I hugged him, but I guess he then took an opportunity there um, to, I guess, push things a little bit further, um, kissing me and then pushing me down. Um, and then it all just kind of happened. And I do remember, though, that at some point I was like, that's enough, and I just got back into my bed and went back to sleep. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and he was gone long before anybody else was awake. Um, but he did tell me like when I went back into bed, you know, the, the usual, you can't tell anyone you will get into trouble because what you've done is really, really bad. And I was just like, Oh shit. And I was petrified. And so I obviously did not say a thing. Um, I didn't mention anything the next morning he was gone, which made me very, very happy that he had disappeared. And he never actually came back into my dad's life after that. But because he was so kind of in and out, no one ever really noticed that he didn't come back um, until I think it was two years later, I was at, we'd moved house again, <laughs> um, but within the same suburb. And I was at a friend's house and I just finished up and I was about to walk home which was only one cul-de-sac over from where I was. And I started walking down his cul-de-sac and then I spotted my dad's friend walking past and like my heart just dropped. And I was just like, I never thought I'd see him again kind of thing. And then he spotted me and he started yelling out that he loved me, which was really, really creepy, really weird um, to say to like a 12 year old. And my friend and his mum were outside their house when this was happening and they looked really, really confused. And I was just like, how the fuck do I get out of here? But also how do I get back home without him knowing where we live? Because I don't want him to turn up again and for him to do this again. I ran straight past my friend and his mum back into their house. Um, and his mum was calling out, Brayden, you okay? What What's going on? And I just blocked everybody out and I just ran. I ran out their back door into their backyard. I jumped over a fence and five other fences until I could get back to our house because we weren't far away. But I was like, if I go this way, he's not going to see me going back home and he won't be able to find me. And he didn't, which I was thankful for. But, like, again, I didn't say anything. I just walked in like I was out of breath and I just went to my room and, no one knew any different, but yeah. And it wasn't until 
I think I was 15, 14, 15, a girl had rejected me <laughs> um, at high school. I was still figuring out who I was at that stage. And I was very much trying to convince myself that I was straight, um, which was a, a whole nother story in itself. But um, it kind of hit me really hard because it wasn't the first time. And I started to sense that people were catching on that I was different. And I was really terrified of that too. Um, and it kind of actually, when I was listening to Jared the other night, those little small bits of trauma that trigger other bits of trauma. And that's ex exactly what happened in that moment. And so I went up, I used to live in the shed out the back <laughs> and I went upstairs into the house and I was crying and my dad and his wife were like, Oh, what's going on? And I was just like, Oh, just got rejected by blah, blah. And now I'm like, Oh, that's okay. Like there'll be others. Um, and I was like, but also I need to tell you something. And then I told them what had happened. My dad's wife didn't respond in a way that was very helpful. She just kind of went silent, but with this look on her face, like I was completely bullshitting. And I could tell because I've seen that face on her so many times. <laughs> um, and then my dad responded with uh, quite a lot of anger, not at me, but at him, um, and said stuff like, I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him, which in my head I was just like, oh, great. <laughs> but then that's kind of where it ended. That was that was the conversation. Nothing really else happened. No one asked if I wanted to go talk to somebody. Um, it just kind of finished. And I was kind of confused going back to my room because I was like, oh, I thought something more would come from that, but it didn't. Um, and then I went over to my mum's, who was literally two houses down the road, and I told her the next day. She re reacted the exact same way as my dad, I'm going to kill him because she knew him too. Um, but again, that's where it stopped. And so then I never talked about it again until yeah. five, six years ago where I first saw an Instagram post from Jared saying that he'd shared his story in front of all these people, um, about his experience as a child. And it, by that point I'd forgotten about it because I pushed it so far back that was it was just out of mind completely. But seeing that post, it came flooding back like a fucking tsunami. And I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> and then in that moment, I said to myself, I want to get to a point where I can share like Jared is because I now know that I need to do something about this. It's just come rushing to the surface and I have to do something about it, but not yet. I wasn't yet ready to be like, oh, let's start telling people again. And so I just started getting involved with Polish Man, started fundraising. And I guess other than telling people, look, I think abuse against children is fucking horrific. This is why I'm being involved. I got to a point where I felt like I needed to justify it more. And I don't know whether or not it was my own brain saying, this is an opportunity to share this is your moment to open up. And so then I did that and I'd been with my partner for seven years at that point. And so he didn't know. And 
I don't think he quite knew how to respond. And I was pretty scared about that, to be honest, because I was like, well, what if I lose him? What if he thinks that I'm dirty? Because that's what I felt. Like I felt complete filth and I was scared that he would distance himself from me. And in a way he did, but it wasn't for the reasons I thought it was. So he was giving me space to process because at that time when I'd shared, I felt really, really icky in my body as well after I'd shared my story. And I think he picked up on that and he just gave me all the space that he thought I needed. And me being kind of, I guess, self-conscious thought that it was because he thought I was dirty and he didn't want to touch me. And I eventually had this conversation with him and he's like, no, 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 not at all. I just didn't want to push you into doing anything you weren't ready to do. Like that's a lot to share with me. I just wanted to give you space and give you the time you needed to, I guess, take another step and talk about a little bit more of it or whatever that might be. But I'm not going to tell you when to talk to me. Like the space is there when you're ready. If you want to, you can tell me more if you want, but I wanted to give you the space to be able to decide that for yourself. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) It's such a relief. Um, but yeah, it was, it was hard. And I went to a really, really dark space for a few years And I saw a psychologist for the first time to kind of help me process what had happened. And then I think with all the other things that I'd been through as a kid growing up and there's a shit ton, I could write a book. (laughs) She was just like, I think halfway through the second session, she was like, okay, we need to stop for a second. Um, She's like, you've got complex trauma. (laughs) And like, I kind of assumed that I had something, but like when she put it into words, I just broke and I was just like I know <laughs> yeah. I want to say as well because people listening like we're laughing because you know sometimes you have to laugh otherwise you'll cry but it is yeah it's sometimes funny reflecting back but I want you to know that as well I always kind of remind people of this we're looking at each other through a camera yeah we can see each other's mannerisms I'm not laughing at the trauma not not at all and neither am I like (laughs) but I guess you for some you either get to a point where um it is lighter and you can talk about it in a way that isn't so heavy but also as you said sometimes it's easy to laugh with it to help yourself talk about it but yeah, like through this journey, it's been about five years. Every time Polish Man comes up, every time I share my story more and more and more, it becomes easier and easier to talk about it. And I'm able to sit with it a lot better as well. And I kind of had the realization this year because I did a recording for Polish Man this year where I sat down with an interviewer for 45 minutes and literally talked about my story on camera. Um, and then they snipped it down to a five minute video and then they showed it at the Maya precious metal gala in front of a thousand people on eight screens. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Um, but through that process and going through that, at that kind of level, I was just like, cause I guess sharing on social media is a little bit different because you're not seeing people's faces in terms of when they're hearing your story, their reactions, but I was surrounded by like 999 other people 
when it was playing and I was like, holy fuck. Um, I didn't look at any any of them. I didn't even tear away my eyes from the screen because I was like, no, nah, I'm shutting you all out. <laughs> um, but through that process, because it was really interesting, I um, I finally kind of put into words that I was no longer running away from the trauma of my sex abuse as a child. And I'd actually got to a point to learn to live with it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If that makes sense, um, and actually accept that it is part of me as opposed to trying to get it off like a, a leech and throw it away, like absorb it. And be like, you know, that as horrific as you were, you are part of me and I have to kind of stop trying to get rid of you because you've kind of helped me become who I am. Um, And for me to get the level of resilience I have, again, I don't suggest people go through horrific types of trauma to kind of to have that growth, but that's part of my journey. That's part of my path. Yeah. And that kind of really freed me a lot this year, like significantly. Yeah. And I think it is repurposing the trauma into something powerful, like turning pain into purpose. And 
I think this is why so many victim survivors end up working in fields like social work or things like that, where they want to utilize the skill sets that they have, even in lived experience, but turn it into something positive or turn it into something that they can tangibly say that they're actively working towards. And I think being able to transfer that, you know, like Jared actually said in his interview as well, that transference of power that he went through. Um, and I think that comes with telling your story as well and you're giving people permission and you're working with other people. And, you're, you know, I think you're transferring the power from this person who took away your power mm. to being somebody who it's, a, it's an incredible thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I also remember um, the psychologist talking about I have a, a tendency to drop absolutely everything and help everybody else as much as I can and always leave myself to last. And while it's a, a great trait to have, it's also really damaging for me in terms of how much it exhausts me and how much it takes away from myself. And I was trying to figure out um, how to create a better balance <laughs> for that. And my psychologist was like, well, your parents in that situation, they didn't put you in that situation, but in a way they also failed you. And you're trying to gain back some of the control that was taken away from you. So that power piece and trying to make sure that nobody else gets let down and nobody else um, is failed. And so for me, I'm always trying to make sure that everybody is okay because I don't want them to, to feel any crap. Um, I try to protect people a lot, which, I mean, it's not my responsibility, but at the same time it does make me happy, but I just have to be really careful on the route in terms of how intensely I do it. <laughs> so, I mean, for multiple things, it could be people probably don't want my help, but also, Brayden, you can't save everybody, and it's not your responsibility to save everybody either. Um, so that's quite a, a work in progress for me trying to find that balance and trying to do for more for me as well. Yeah. I think what you're saying there though is incredibly powerful in the sense of trying to be there for everybody. And, you know, it is that lots of little traumas, but you've also got that vicarious trauma. Even while doing things like Polish man, you're listening to other people talk about their traumas and you're having people message you and tell you things they've experienced. and you know, you add all of that up and it does add a cognitive load. It does add, you know, a trauma level as well. And it is so hard to, I think, sometimes identify when it's impacting you. Yeah, yeah. And also I think um, putting in those boundaries in a way that doesn't make them feel like their sharing was a bad thing um, because you want people to share because we know how beneficial it can be to be able to share your story and start that journey. Um, but at the same time, I can't help you through that process. Um, I'm not equipped. I'm not skilled um, enough to be able to do that with you, um, which I think uh, was really great between Jared and I because I reached out to Jared when I that very first time I saw his post and I literally just said, thank you so much for sharing. As a result, I'm going to start addressing my own um, and I'm going to get involved with Polish Man, so thank you. Um, and then we touched base a couple of times after that and then we met for the first time at a Polish Man wrap-up party. Um, he flew down to Melbourne and we met 
And he was like, I actually really appreciated the way that you did engage with me because sometimes people ask me to help them through it. And he, I guess at that stage, he probably wasn't ready to be like, oh yeah, cool. Let's, let's help you work through this process. Whereas now he's in a position where he actually does help people over the phone deal with some of this stuff. And I was just like, oh, I, I never once wanted to put that burden on you. But that again, that's a, <laughs> a really a trait of mine. I don't want to feel like I burden anybody with anything. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's that that conversation that you need to have, I guess, with people is find your support people around you to start your journey to make sure that you have the support you need when you go through it. You don't have to say it's that's not me. Kind of push them to who their people are because they're going to understand their patterns and their personality better than than me. And I've had a few people reach out to me and I've maybe not responded in the best way, not in a bad way, but not in the right way for them. And it's difficult to sometimes remind people that on Instagram, it's just us. We're only one person. We're not accredited service providers. Mm. And, you know, I think the, the wonderful nature of the survivor support network or other similar groups in Australia, like the survivor hub, who are that peer to peer network, who have experts that are coming in or who have a community of people who can support, they're the transitional people, I think, in the middle. They play a role in going, okay, we can talk about options, but we can't provide that. You can go seek legal help. Here's a lawyer I've used or go and seek social support. Here's a counsellor or psychotherapist I've used. And I think it normalises that conversation and it becomes a bridge for many people Because I think a lot of people weren't accessing services thinking the same thing that you just said. I don't want to be a burden on an already overflowing system. Mm. Mine wasn't bad enough. I can deal with this. And it's just like, no, 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 that's what it's there for. And it's completely okay to, to seek out support and help, even if you think that it wasn't as bad. Like severity of a crime or extremism of a crime or the resulting injuries of a crime that are physical, they've got nothing to do with the fact that you've got trauma and you know like Bessel van der Kolk's book the body keeps the score it really does and that trauma might be you know not being able to play a sport that you grew up doing it doesn't have to be child sexual abuse but they're all completely valid and I guess the the peer part of I guess some of those survivor hubs or just finding those um, peer support groups, they don't technically offer something that you can write down into this is what you're going to get out of it but it, it's just a feeling when you are with other survivors. So the very first time I was with like multiple survivors was at a Polish man gala. I think it was in my second or third year. And I sat next to a lady who started uh, restoring hope. Um, and she was a survivor herself of child sex abuse. And she created Restoring Hope to provide, I guess, emergency packs of clothes, underwear, teddy bears, um, activity books and stuff for kids who were then taken into the police station, were stripped of everything, poked and prodded as part of the process because that's what she went through as a kid, but nothing was there. She had, she sat there naked, like she felt uncomfortable, and so she created these packs for kids And so the police um, department would engage with them and say, hey, we've got somebody coming in. Can you bring in one of those packs? And so she'd provide those packs to them ready so the kid would have a a change of clothes because their clothes would be taken for testing and all that kind of stuff. It would be evidence. And I just, being around those other survivors, it was just, I, I can't actually explain it. It was like that moment where you find people who just get it 
without even saying words and you just look at each other and that's enough. And I was like, oh, my God, my cup is so full right now. That one I posted about uh, Harry or Jared the other day, because it is, you know, we you catch up and you instantly have this community. Um, like I spent the weekend at one of the fellow survivors who's connected with me at her house and we've never met in person before. Like you're instantly best mates <laughs> and it, yeah. it's a tremendous feeling. I completely agree. And it's hard to describe. I think a lot of people are hesitant to come because it sounds like a group therapy kind of thing, but it's not. It's just a bunch of people who have this horrible similarity who don't want to have to explain to their friends or feel like a burden on their pals like, And that's a commonality that most of us share. So you want a space where you can talk freely. Yeah, yeah. And I guess another space where people aren't constantly apologising to you when you do share, like that makes me really uncomfortable actually. So when that video was viewed at the Maya Gala, I had a heap of people come up to my table who had recognised me from the video and they were like, oh, thank you so much for sharing. I'm so sorry. And I'm like you're welcome. Like, I didn't know how to respond. Like, it was so weird. I was like, I didn't, I don't know why you're thanking me, uh, but also why you're apologizing because you didn't do anything. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, felt pressured to give them something. And I was like, and so we didn't stay much longer. I was like, I just need to go because while I appreciate their thoughts, I think as, as we were just saying, like, as survivors, we just get it without saying anything but I think they were just trying to say as much as they could to give me what they thought I needed. And I was just like, I don't need it. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, even around the conversation with the term victim or survivor or whatever you prefer to be identified as. And we're all very different. I think when a lot of people talk to me, I do say, I'm sorry that that's happened to you because I want to acknowledge the pain. Yeah. But also some people don't really dislike that because they're like, you're, you didn't do anything. And I'm like, but that's me trying to empathize. This is why I like the open dialogue as well, that survivors, we're not all the same, but also we have a vocabulary. You can talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Say, I don't know what to say to you, but I just want to let you know that I, I found it very moving what you said. And. Mm-hmm. You can articulate that you don't know what to say and you're worried you're going to say the wrong thing. Just say that and we'll be like, no, that's fine. (laughs) You're not going to make me uncomfortable unless you say something really weird. We've gone through a lot, but I thought, do you mind me asking a few questions about some of the story that you went through? The first first one that I've got written down was this guy would just come over, um, like back to your story, this guy would just come over and find where you were living. Like, I think it's important to kind of frame this as well. Like, this wasn't text message days. This wasn't in the days of social media. Um, but you surely had, like, a way of communicating in some way, did he? Or was it just, like, a very transient friendship? Um, so I think it probably had a lot to do with the fact that my dad and him were probably connected through um, drug use. So dad wasn't, like, a heavy drug user, but he had, like, his pipe with dope of a night time. Um, but there was a time where in one of our 50 houses we lived in (laughs) where he used to, um, deal marijuana out of our house. And so I think they were connected in that way. And I guess, um, dad met a lot of people through that process. And so there was a network of 
where's Rodney gone? Rodney is my dad. Like, where is he now these days? And so I think he probably figured out through those ways because it's quite a, it's quite a network, the, the drug scene, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I don't know personally, but from what I saw as a kid growing up, people just seemed to be connected and um, knew people and knew where they were and that kind of thing. So I think that's how he kept on finding where we lived. Not that dad was hiding because he had no reason to, but yeah. Still found it odd that he always found out where we were and he would just rock up, no call or anything. But it was back in the days where there. <laughs> you could just rock up to somebody's house and just hope they were there. It doesn't happen no. anymore. Like it's actually like not that cool to just drop by somebody's house. Yeah, no, I'd be like, I'm sorry, you did what? <laughs> what are you knocking at my door for? <laughs> I guess like maybe in framing that I'm just trying to understand like is it – Maybe not out of the ordinary then for some people to just come by kind of thing because I think it's trying to just trying to make the people listening understand like the scenario of it all. It wasn't it wasn't seen as something creepy. Maybe it was something that was quite normalized in your house. Yeah, correct. It, just people dropping in, dad's friends or people that he'd met would just drop in. It was just random. It was wasn't unexpected. It was never really a surprise. Um, often we were quite excited to see random friends drop in. Um, cause there were others that we, again, were really close to that were really, really great to us. And, um, some of them even lived with us, uh, for, for short periods of time. So it was kind of really exciting for us when people did drop in cause we, because we did move so much, we moved away from so many of, I guess, the networks of friends. And so when people randomly rocked up, we're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. It's like Christmas. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I don't believe that he came with the intention of that's what was going to happen. I, I can't, couldn't say, but it was just a random drop in, like it had been happening for years. And so you feel it was more of an opportunistic type offense where had he not been in your room that night, he wouldn't have gone and sought you out potentially. I don't believe so, but I couldn't say for sure because I don't know what's going on in his head. Um, and then I, you know, reflecting I, I wonder why he didn't because he did tell me that he didn't have custody of his kids and I wonder why he didn't have custody of his kids um and you know it was never reported to police either and there's parts of me that's like by me not reporting it are other people being put at risk but then when I try and ask my dad about his last name so I can consider going down that path he's like oh I don't know it and I'm like what what do you mean you don't know his last name? And my mum doesn't either. And I'm like, well, I can't really do much with that, can I? <laughs> Sounds like it's quite a transient then, yeah, type friendship where you, you're mates with, you know, Joe Bloggs down the road, but you don't know that his last name's Bloggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they weren't super close. Again, I think it was just a drug friend. <laughs> it, it's a normal thing in many households and I think it's not to say that these are particularly dangerous people or anything like that, that they, they weren't knowingly putting you in harm's mm. way. But I guess, you know, when you're talking about your story as well, it is kind of a very adult thing to be saying to a 10-year-old, crying to them about, you know, not having custody. And it's like, you know, are you trying to create a space where you're going to empathise with him, where he's you're going to comfort him? Is that what he was trying to do, I wonder? Or was it genuine upset and then when you were there, you know, it's hard to understand the psyche of somebody that would do this at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the moment there was a bit of emotional manipulation that happened that night that got me to 
you know, hug him. And then also when I ran into him two years later, the fact that he yelled out and told me that he loved me, wanted to be with me, like, what the fuck? This, I don't, it tells me that there's something not right. As a, a younger kid, I never saw it. It was completely oblivious. But also, I guess seeing people who weren't mentally well was kind of normalized for me too. And so I don't think I, maybe others would have seen it, but like my mom has always been really, really mentally unwell. Like in that same house, she rocked up one day. We hadn't seen her for quite some time. She just appeared out of nowhere. And we were excited of course, because it was our mum, and we hadn't seen her for so long. But then she had this bipolar episode in the kitchen where she just started jumping up and down and screaming and saying she didn't want to be here. And we're just like, what the fuck is going on? But like those episodes happened quite a lot. So maybe there was something that showed that he wasn't mentally um, well, but it was no different to me because I'd seen so many mentally unwell people already and it was just kind of normal. So maybe there were signs. I am not sure. And it makes you question, I mean, maybe as well, if he did have kids, if that was the truth, if, you know, it was all a ploy and attacked to try and emotionally manipulate mm. you. But I think even in the actions afterwards and, you know, two years later, I wonder as well, is that him trying to make you feel like this was love to stop you from potentially down the, downstream going to the authorities about it rather than just running away or something that might come across as more guilty maybe in some instances? Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely there was something in terms of him trying to, he was like, oh my God, I have an opportunity to save this and to stop something from happening to me. What what can I say? But I was too busy, like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> and it is just bizarre as well, like, that somebody said that and even that wouldn't have called the police. Like, if I saw some random dude talking to a 12-year-old that I know and he was screaming out that he loved him, I think I'd just be calling the cops anyway and just being like, I'm not comfortable with this. Something doesn't seem right. Yeah. Well, my friend's mum did check in with me a day later and she was like, hey, is everything okay? Do you need anything? And I was like, no, everything's fine. And, like, I, you know, told her that. And she's like, do I need to talk to your dad about something? And I was like, no, it's all good. It's all good. And, like, I guess I don't know how 10, 12-year-old me actually did it to be able to mask and save face for so long. Like I thank 10 year old me so much because they've got me here today. Like it could have gone one of many ways in addition to all the other shit that I went through, but I don't know how I got to this point. Like people often ask me, how did you not go down the path of drugs and crime and all this kind of other stuff? Um, I had a counselor at school once just go, Brayden, how are you alive? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just here. And I don't know where that comes from, where that resilience comes from, but I'm very, very grateful for younger me um, for being so strong and getting me through to this point for sure. Hi, fam. I'm just popping in here to wrap up part one with Brayden for this week. Now, next week we'll be releasing on Wednesday part two with Brayden, so come back next week so that you can hear the end of this amazing discussion. Thank you so much, Brayden, for sharing so much already and for being such a fierce advocate and being so candid with what you're sharing. It's absolutely incredible. Now, for the listeners who maybe want to listen to more and you want another episode this week, fret not. 
I will be joined on Friday for the Friday follow-up with Brayden, Harry and Jared. I'm so excited to have these three onto a podcast episode together. We're going to have a chat and we're going to answer questions from the listeners. So please get in touch with me if you do have questions for this Friday. If you haven't already listened to the episodes with Harry, then please go back and listen to episode 53. If you want to listen to the episodes that we've done with Jared also, those are episodes 68 and 69. Now, this is uh, three guys that know each other through the Polish Man community, and it's going to be a really great kind of very informal chat, hopefully a little bit more lighthearted, hopefully with a lot of laughs and hopefully with no technical difficulties this week as well. But thank you all so much. Make sure you get in touch with any questions that you may have. I'll post on uh, the Instagram the details for that too. So thank you so much, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.